Just a quick announcement at the top of the show. Movies is going to be recorded and released twice a week, every week. Head on over to patreon.com slash so you don't miss a single episode. And you'll also be able to get exclusive access to series like After Dark, niche influential films of the 20th century, where each month I am going to be covering an underrated or overlooked film from the 20th century that had a lasting cultural impact that maybe isn't even noticed today. Go on over there again, patreon.com slash lowres, the $5 and up level. You're going to get a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm probably going to give you a little bit of insight on the making of our feature film that we've been working on for the past year, Mass State Lottery. Patreon.com slash lowres. Enjoy the show. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans. Hans, how are we doing? Uh, good. Uh, it's, fuck, I wanted to quote um, O.J. Simpson on his Twitter videos, but I completely forgot. I completely messed up the quote in, his head, in my head. What does he say? Uh, hello, Twitter world. Hey, Twitter world. It's yours truly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, that. Hello. Didn't work. Great start. <laughs> How is that relevant to the show today? I don't know. I was I was watching OJ Simpson videos. I, I don't know. Like football highlights? No, just just videos of like whatever he's been posting on Twitter that I think it's really funny that now he's a you know a commentary guy on anything that's going yeah, on. Yeah, he he's, he's like Keemstar, I, I, but for the real world. I found the I found the Jeffrey Tubin one. That one was the best one where he's like, oh, at least uh, um, Pee Wee went to a porn theater or something like that. And then, <laughs> and then he like giggles and it's great. It's hilarious. You got to live for those types of fun, fun and gags, you know, is the Jeffrey Tube and you stand up and you show your penis. How many times yeah. have you, you almost done that while we've been live streaming on Twitch or doing one of these shows? Every time, once or twice. <laughs> I'm not wearing any pants right now. So yeah, there's a lot of close calls where we've seen yeah, your yeah. knees, your thighs, shorts. It, it's a little too close to yeah. call, if you ask me. I'm not a pants person when I'm at home. I find it to be unnecessary, so I just wear whatever softest, whatever the most uh, so old that it's transparent boxer that I have. That's what I wear at home. <laughs> it's very see-through, just barely holding in that those are the most comfortable to sleep in so that's, that's great of, uh, that's great to walk around the house of your family home in <laughs> yep it's you know they've seen it it's fine hey speaking of families we are talking about looking for mr good bar today and its sequel yeah track down finding the good bar killer which you know we'll get into it claims it is not a sequel but it is very clearly a sequel and borrows from that original film in, uh, in certainly as far as casting goes. Right. I mean, I'm going to need you to tell me about that one. <laughs> How far into that one did you get before you gave up? 15, 20 minutes, I think. Uh, and the, I think the problem was that I saw it after uh, the first one, which is so much better than I just, uh, 50 minutes in, I was like, I'm not, there's nothing here. For me to enjoy like it's not even bad like goofy bad that i would like so i just quit so yeah you'll have to tell me about it it's it's a movie that has been i mean both of these movies but especially that sequel because the first movie is considered or was considered for a period of time a classic it received academy award nominations for 
or Tuesday Weld and uh, maybe some technical categories like the, uh, the screenplay or something. I might have that wrong. Um, Looking for Mr. Goodbar is a, I think it was a 1977, 1978 Seven. film starring Diane Keaton uh, as this character who is, uh, her name is Teresa in the film. She's based after an actual woman who was working in New York City at that time, going around the bars and meeting men, meeting strangers, having, uh, you know, alluring moments, erotic moments. Moments of closeness and fondness with people she hardly knew at all. And it all came to a crashing halt one day when she took home a homosexual and he murdered her. So this is <laughs> this is all based on true events. It has been fictionalized. There's a, a, a novel by Judith Rossner um, who took liberties with certain aspects of the characterizations of, uh, you know, the, the, the people that are found within the movie and in that novel, and there were subsequent uh, true crime books released on this case, on this incident, to sort of correct the record, which I'm fairly certain that the, the movie and the novel itself are relatively accurate to all of the details, right? But people right. had a problem with the characterization of the Teresa character in this film, and how it seems to be the uh, the moral that they're they're putting forth is that she walked into this trap of her own accord, uh, and it obviously goes against the sort of feminist belief or whatever, which is always like what what do they like to say? Don't teach girls to fear rape, teach boys not to rape. Yeah, it goes in the face of that sort of thing, which uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's worked. Which wonders. I mean, fair enough. Fair it's 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 fair enough, but at the same time, not every boy is going to learn that. Well, so if what, you hold on, what's, what's, what's fair enough? <laughs> what's fair enough? The premise of that whole thing is that the standard here is that at least fifty percent of boys rape, which is the status quo, which means you can unlearn it. It's not it's not this this evil compulsion in your head that you've worked yourself up to in a mental frenzy of all sorts of. Uh, you know, clinical illness that's going on in your brain with your brain cells and your mind. No, 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 no. This is just a hobby you do on the weekends, like Bill Cosby. <laughs> okay, right. All right. When, when you put it that way, yeah, I take it back. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> that's right. It's all your fault, bitches. <laughs> no, I, I think, I, I just think that um, that's what makes this character interesting, though. She's from, well, I, I don't really know if she's from a small town, but she seems to be uh in love with this big city or like this new place that she moves into and she's very trusting with strangers which to me tells me that she's more innocent than just uh you know a, a dumb victim it's more of a circumstances something that she has never lived through and all of a sudden she's experiencing it now and oh this is kind of cool and kind of dangerous uh and then she ends up getting into you know something that maybe she shouldn't have especially because of the experiences of what happens in the movie but i don't think it makes her look weak or it makes the character lesser than just because it ends that way i think that's that's what makes the character interesting instead i i actually completely agree with you i don't think i mean i i i suppose i can understand the critique of the feminist uh narrative that this is like uh it's 
I'm not even going to use the terms because I'm already exhausting myself in my head just thinking of of the uh, go-to roundup of you know phrases that are trotted out in academic classes and and uh, you know in scholarly articles. But it's not a cartoonish character that they're uh-huh. putting forth here for this Teresa. She's not like hopelessly naive, and she's also not right. just a total. Uh, slam pig where you can't empathize with what winds up happening to her right right so yeah but she absolutely is seduced by this idea of what her life is supposed to be in new york city in 1970 something If anything, I think it doesn't condemn her actions as much as it does condemn women's liberation and the idea that you have to be uh, independent to a fault, don't rely on a guy or whatever. And then she winds up meeting like six or seven different guys and they're all horrible. And she puts up with it. She bends over backwards for some of them and it winds up going to a dark place. I, I, I just don't see the point, though, of, uh, well, you got what you deserved or you got what you know, you got yourself into because that's what made it more realistic to me. The fact that it didn't just have a happy ending. Then all of a sudden she met an amazing guy at a bar and then they lived happily ever. Yeah. This ending comes completely out of nowhere. This, I mean, if you know nothing about the true crime event, right. Or the book, um, then this ending is very, what the fuck this ending does not. I mean, it, it does actually connect in a very subtle and subdued way with the rest of the film, but that, I mean, if you're just going off like the opening 45 minutes or even the opening hour, that's not the movie you think you're walking into. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, sudden too. Uh, I feel like that, that's what needed a little bit more to me at the end. Maybe that's why it feels so sudden or, or so quick that, uh, the discussion they have or the little shaming that he thinks he's getting, uh, it's not long enough for, for that to happen to me at least, or, or it wasn't believable enough for me to, to believe that he would immediately just go and kill her like that uh because uh or, or maybe it's because we know who the character is so we know that her intentions are not to shame the guy or anything well i hold uh, on a second she does th- make a mockery of what's his name peck from ghostbusters he's one of the boyfriends in this movie uh she makes fun of him for bringing condoms and uh, like blows him up in her oh in his face. yeah that's and then true. you find out he lied about his backstory it, he's one of these like this this character especially feels like very true to life where he's getting especially close like he's trying to worm his way into her life by getting close to her family and she's not really interested in him he won't uh 
take certain measures to like just I think he overhypes her in his head for for a period of time where he won't make a physical move on her. He keeps it very romantic. He's trying to make it sappy and sentimental. Yeah. And then when he's humiliated, uh you get the the real the real version of him, the 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 evil strategic mind of him and how he lied about these things that he used to connect with her in some way. Right. Yeah. I guess I don't know. I just I I didn't really. I mean, I like the ending. I, I just I guess it just comes out of nowhere. Like it's it, it's not the the type of movie that, like you said, the type of movie that you think you're watching uh, until that happens. But it it's very. Uh, um, this is what hap- that would happen in real life if this character actually went into doing all of the things that she did. I guess just being reckless with anyone that she gets involved with and especially back in the 70s where you know uh police wasn't as or didn't have the tools that they have now to get people right to get killers and whatnot so it it was more plausible to me that it would end like that and the way that it ended so so suddenly very omar from the wire like uh and i i thought that added a lot to to the movie because uh instead of making her look like a victim uh it was just I guess to me more more realistic more you know this is what would happen to the character and it makes sense uh in the arc that she has in the story I guess where she starts as very innocent she's like this teacher that uh is helping uh deaf children uh and she's getting through to them and like they have that little side story going with like her her whore tales on this side and then she's like a like a nice teacher that's getting through these students that can't speak or 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 can't communicate or whatever uh, but uh, the way that it ends it completely goes against who she is at the beginning. So that I, I really like that arc of, of the persons that she maybe not not end up becoming because she doesn't really change that much. But her actions result in the resolution that we see at the end, and it, it was it was satisfying. Not in a you know I'm glad she's dead, which I've felt in a lot of movies that I've watched, but not in this one. But it was satisfying <laughs> in. A, I was, it was satisfying in, uh, um, you know, yeah, it makes sense that the story would end like this. Right, right. A- and, uh, you know, I think she comes from uh, a town in Pennsylvania. You were talking about this small town that she's, you know, birthed out of, and she does uh, abandon that to go into the city. Uh, you know, I don't think it's necessarily painted in a, in a negative light. Uh, it could be very easy, very simple to, uh, you know, characterize her father as a like an outwardly negative figure and try and justify her reasoning for going off to new york city around that time they don't really do that the most that you get is an argument between him and her regarding her numerous abortions she Mm -hmm. loves aborting kids uh, in this movie (laughs) yeah and i i think that also plays into the um the uh you know the, the striking against the political turmoil between the sexes of that time and trying to poke holes in maybe the argument by saying that if you embrace all of this, it can wind up being a huge net negative. And something that I also think is interesting is the whole uh, Tuesday Weld uh, sister character and how she's just, I mean, she's even more unstable and chaotic than the Teresa character. She's, 
uh, also getting abortions. She's getting married on the fly, uh, meeting men on the plane. Uh, she's a total train wreck of a person, but she's so much of a train wreck that she knows how to navigate that mm -hmm. kind of instability, right? And Teresa does not. Teresa is tiptoeing through that, and that's ultimately why she succumbs to the fate she does. And uh, to go back to your point about uh, not making the dad like a huge antagonist in the story or, or a huge part of it as uh, to why she makes these decisions, uh, it, it gives her more of a personality and more of a you know, character that you know, makes their own decisions uh, to have her do that decision herself and not just being pushed to do it by her parents, we could be, which could be a very easy way of just making them villains and making her a, a hero, I guess, or, or like a, a symbol of uh, strength uh, when she could just be being reckless, you know, which is more likely to happen in the 70s in New York, you know. Uh, as much as you would like to tout the, you know, the uh, uh, female uh, strength and, and, and all that, uh, the 70s in New York were not like a nice place to live in. So it no, makes sense. That, and, uh, and I think her behavior makes sense given the, the time, like the decade previously, and also that AIDS hadn't hit yet. AIDS would be an yeah. 80s thing. And, uh, you know, you have people sleeping around, uh, not using condoms, which is why that's a joke to her, you know, um, <laughs> such a dweeby thing to do. I feel like that's come right back around. I, I haven't heard of a single person to use condoms since like 2000, since 1998, when I was a seven-year-old boy. That's, that was just the standard. They give out condoms and dare. Well, the principal would give me a condom seven? when we were hanging out. We're seven. In his bedroom after school. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's my own looking for Mr. Wear them in his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you think about the performances in this movie? Because I think, I mean, they're all firing from all cylinders. And this is an early performance from Richard Gere, who's just playing a coked out yeah. wacko in this movie. It, it really yeah. like paints a picture of like who he was. It makes it so much more understandable why he was... Uh, you know, toted as, as such like a big actor during that time before he just became bland attorney or bland, like whatever he dad. might be, therapist guy, bland, bland man bland being cheated dadist. on. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's, that's the one that I was going to mention. Uh, yeah, that that's why I've never understood. Well, I've never seen this movie before uh, this time that I that I watched it. Uh, and I've never understood the Richard Gere as a leading man as a romantic partner. Uh, because every time I've seen him, he's been like an old man, and also because he looks like the Rolf dad from that midget family. Uh, <laughs> Rolf, Rolf, I think it's, I think it's little, I think people, it's big little people, big world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I've never seen him like that. And then you see him in something like this, where he is that guy, uh, and he plays it very naturally. Like it comes out even when he is hitting her, you're like, oh, he looks like he's hit a woman before. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought him, I thought uh, Tom Berenger was great. Oh, Tom uh, Berenger and, is uh, fantastic. Yeah, we'll get to him. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Diane Keaton, is that who the main character Yes, is? yeah, Diane Keaton plays Teresa yeah, in yeah. this film. Yeah, she's great. She shows a lot of emotion throughout it. Uh, and uh, she plays those two roles of, of Goody Two-Shoes teacher uh, and the the 
want to be a slut, but I'm not there yet, but I'm confident about being a slut-ish kind of type of thing uh, really well, I think. Uh, and uh, her performance w works really well at just driving the whole movie forward, really. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it has like shades of uh, Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. Did you did you see that that film? Either of those films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw both of them uh, because I I I think I felt like I had to because uh, I was in film school when that yeah. came out. So I thought I I had to. Yeah, uh, fit in. Yeah, I I I can I can see that uh, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of um, her just uh, convincing herself that this is who she's supposed to be, and a lot of like inner turmoil of you know uh this is this sexual person that i should be or should i be uh i, I can see the the parallels there really uh and we were talking about richard Gere a second ago yeah he's probably the uh i mean maybe no actually i don't even i, I can't even say that I, I was gonna say he's probably like the most off kilter of the the suitors that she has but he's really not at all when you consider yeah. uh everybody else he's probably like the most reasonable guy out of what is it four of them well you have uh, the teacher right the, oh man the, he's got he's, he's a, a, a fantastic line in the beginning of the movie what, what does he say he says something to the effect of i can't stand to be around a woman after i fucked her oh yeah <laughs> yeah which just you know tells you exactly who he is right there <laughs> yeah, what uh, a great piece of writing <laughs> yeah yeah uh, who was the other one? So it's him. Then there's the Tom Berenger guy. Uh, we're missing two. Counting, Ghostbuster, uh, Ghostbusters Richard man, Gear. and Richard Gear. Correct. All oh, right, I think so. I I don't remember to be honest, but but they're all you know kind of fucked up in their own way, even though they're all different. You know, they're all yeah, they're all they're all pieces of shit in their own unique manner. That is not, it doesn't overlap with anyone else. And Tom Berenger is probably, I mean, I, I, Richard Gere is probably the most entertaining guy. Tom Berenger, in his limited screen time, is probably the most uh, tolerable to put up with as a viewer before he snaps, before he freaks oh, out. Okay. They're going to make us the one that actually did it. Uh, he, yeah, he's barely, he's what, 15 minutes maybe in it? 10 minutes in the movie. Right. So he pops up in, in flashes toward the end. Right. And then we wind up seeing it's a, a total shift in perspective because we're, we're tracking her almost exclusively. We're in her head. We see her little dream sequences where her father's dead and where she's getting run over by a car, like all these different yeah. things. And then we finally break away from that at the very end. And it's a focus on Tom Berenger who seems like a gay for pay sort of guy who's gone all the way and he can't get it off, get get his rocks off to a lady anymore. Uh, and he's with his, his male partner. Who's yeah. all, you know, it's always an older man and a younger guy it tells you something, I think. And um, <laughs> he, he does not like the gay bashing that's going on at the pride parade or whatever. This is pride month, right? So this is, this is why this is the theme of the show. Yeah. This is why we picked this one. We're doing cruising yep. next week. Um, sure. There we go. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I will say, actually, the ending does kind of feel like it could connect into cruising. Don't you think? 
I mean, it has a, the same uh, dirty 70s feel of just underground, uh, dirty. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it could it could be it could be like a side you know a side story from from what is told on cruising or something that could be happening at the same time and uh, and uh, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference really. I mean, obviously, visually it's not the same, but they do feel like they're in the same period of time or at least like it could be happening at, at other uh, time of uh, I mean at other location of the city, you know. Yeah, what'd you think about his uh, his his love and adoration for poppers and just using poppers at inappropriate moments, like playing pinball? <laughs> I think it's a red flag that you were probably uh, not seen <laughs> before. You know, taking it home, uh, it was very obvious that he was not the most stable person by just watching him do that. But uh, she ignored it, and uh, well, that's she got what she. I guess. <laughs> she got what she deserved. <laughs> wow. Also, I didn't know that uh, the brother uh, was LeVar Burton. Uh, you know, the brother, the brother with the striped shirt of the de deaf the, girl? The homie. The brother. Yeah. Oh, well, the homie yeah. that's a brother in the movie. Brother you know, with where an he, A he put, on the end. Yeah. He, he's the homie that plays a brother uh, yeah. in the movie of, of a deaf girl. I didn't know there was LeVar. He was very young. Uh, LeVar Burton. Apparently. Yeah, he would have just been uh, doing debut. Roots around this time. Roots, I think, was 19... Was it 79? 76? It says here that his, uh, his debut and uh, Brian Dennehy's debut, too. Right? Oh, that's right. Brian Dennehy plays a doctor in this He's film. Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. When, when was Roots? Roots, I think, was... Uh, it had to be just right after this. Uh, let me see. Roots. They don't really give him much to work with. He's just kind of always in a negative mood. He just looks mean. In this one, yeah, yeah, he just he just looks upset the whole time. Even when when she's uh, making breakthroughs, uh, his sister, he's still kind yeah, of yeah. She like, fu he fucking hates fucking her. Guts. He he doesn't want to tolerate like, her. Fucking whatsoever. why bitch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't give a fuck. <laughs> fucking why bitch? Fuck you. Uh, yeah, seventy seven too. I'm trying to find when it came out date because. Uh, yeah it doesn't i can't find it easy but it's the same year as i came out i guess mr goodbar came out before the series hmm. yeah i would i would oh, no, imagine no, no. so uh, no, no hold on roots uh january january uh 23rd of 77 and looking for mr goodbar was october okay so, so it was his debut on a film all right, roots right. Was a series right yeah that would be peculiar if they had shot uh roots after this movie and he's got only such a tiny micro. I mean, he's got maybe what one yeah. or two lines max. You know, he's just kind of hanging out in the yeah. background. This feels like it was definitely shot right before or around the same time as Roots, where that was not a guarantee to be as big of a hit as it was. Um, they the would direction... have used him, you think, right? They would yeah. have given her him a bunch of lines or or some type of. Uh, maybe he would have been one of the lovers after after he. You know, uh, in nineteen seventy-seven, are you this, kidding uh, me? Something. That's a little, that's a little too spicy. You know, you're right. I'm being too progressive right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Roots was a big hit. I mean, Roots was the number one show on television for the twelve episode duration, I believe it was. So yeah, no, they definitely, if they knew he was about to be a star, they would have absolutely beefed up his role, uh, and we would have gotten more. Was that the first? It. Was that the first slavery or American slavery? Uh, the picture on screen 
No, there were black exploitation films. Um, oh, but I mean time. that was taken that was taken seriously, because I mean black exploitation films are fun. You know, uh, you don't really watch a black exploitation film to get bummed out about slavery. You're like, oh, this black guy is awesome. He's gonna kill everyone, and he's gonna fuck every woman in the country. You know, I, th- I uh, think it from so the perspective I, I if, of. If, Black slaves and plantation life, yeah, probably that was maybe one of the first. That was the first big one, anyway. If there was something before that, uh, it it was probably not as well recognized and flew below the radar. I can't imagine they were they would make that kind of film in the fifties or sixties or prior to that. Um, oh no, mm. there's a. There, I mean, there are there's a fair amount of black filmmakers from that period of time whose films are uh, pretty difficult to obtain now, especially, uh, you know, a reasonable viewing print. Uh, but there was a totally separate film industry prior to the 1960s and 50s even that was micro, and you had to take, uh, you know, these films, which were all black cast and crew, and find black theaters essentially to show them in. Or... Uh, theaters owned by white people that were progressive enough to exhibit them to the public and be willing to take that backlash. But I mean, by comparison to the golden age of Hollywood, you know, that's a very small micro thing. So I mean, who knows, who knows? I can't imagine the budget would be there to do that or that the resources would be available. What do you think of the Roots remake they did a couple of years ago? That swept the Emmys that won like 10 different yeah, awards. That- yeah, look, it's uh people aren't talking about it. People I don't even really think they watched it. Uh Yeah. Time speaks for itself, you know? Everything comes out in the wash. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> it just it just means <laughs> it means there's nothing to be said about it. It speaks for itself. Okay. If people, if it was a, thing. if it was a thing, got it. People yeah. would be talking it's about. It's bad. It. Yeah, I we've moved on. I think from white guilt media, at least when it comes to big productions like that. Because now I feel like now they're getting more backlash that they did when Trump was in office. Because I guess people are not blinded by that, you know, against Trump thing. So even when that show that came out that that I think we talked about five episodes ago or something where uh, they were just depicting uh, black people being abused uh, and uh, that it was like six producers and one of them was black and the rest were white. And I think one Asian uh, and it's more like um, black abuse porn for people so, that want to feel guilty. I think it's, you know what I mean? It's uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's just evolved a bit. So I, I, before I think it would be like green book, would have been I mean that that one best picture in twenty sixteen or early twenty seventeen. I think that type of movie would have been lauded um without any of the criticism that it received if it was like twenty eleven, twenty ten. And something like uh Twelve Years a Slave, which has a black director, Steve McQueen directed that film. You don't often see that kind of movie uh being made now. If it is made now, then it's something like that plantation horror film that Somebody put out recently, I think it came out last year. The name of it is escaping me at the moment. Uh, but 
I saw uh, many people getting up in arms in a similar fashion to that movie as the new Amazon series, which I think is called Them, right? I think so, yeah. Is that Antebellum? Antebellum, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, Antebellum's the movie that I'm thinking of. Yeah. So I think that is still in vogue, but they want a black director, a black writer, black producer. So uh, white executives will still green light that and they will go through so long as you have black puppets essentially that are orchestrating the production so they can avoid any sort of backlash because the desire there is still very strong among uh, women, especially the top consumer, especially white women to be put in their place and feel guilty and activated for black lives and shit. Yeah. Right. It's still there. It's going to be there. Listen, it's going to be there until the taste for that has run out. And I don't see it running out, unfortunately, anytime soon. Uh, In the meantime, what can happen is just creating media for other demographics again, which will hopefully shift the, the preferred flavor of that demographic, which it can, because those, those, that demographic never would have went for a Spider-Man movie in 1995. Right. But they would now, they absolutely would now that demographic is not in tune to the same type of entertainment that it once was in the late 20th century or even early 20th century. So I think, I think it's all a matter of just creating different art for demographics that aren't 18 to 34 year old white women. Right. I, yeah, I just, I hate I hate that shit so much because it's so for America only, really. Um, and that's how I see it, at least, because I feel no guilt about any of that stuff because it's not connected to me in any way. Uh, so watching something like I've never seen Roots and I'm sure I would feel bad from what they're depicting because that's what the intention of it is, right? It's supposed to make you feel bad about the horrors that happened before. But the thing with me is that, okay, yeah, but I, I don't have that guilt because I there's... I mean, I don't know if there is, but if there is, I don't care because it's not my fault about what my ancestors did. But I feel like that's a that's a thing now where uh, you're supposed to be um, guilty of things that happened even before you were born. Uh, so when so when I when I see something like Twelve Years a Slave, that's like what two and a half hours or something of just that hitting you over the head. It's kind of like, all right, you know, I got I got it. Like that's. It doesn't really work. So I, I can't, I mean, I'm sure Roots is shot well and acted great because a lot of them got a career out of it. But I guess it's every time content like that comes out, like I'm sure that, um, I mean, not I'm sure, there's racism everywhere. Like even here where, where it's, it's a country that's just full of a mix, everyone's mixed. There's not one pure person in this whole place uh, because we've gotten it from everywhere. Uh, but um, I just, I've never felt anything with these movies other than okay so are you going to show me anything else than trying to make me feel guilty because i don't feel guilty and if that's the goal to make me feel guilty you're failing and if there's nothing after that or or anything else that i can connect to then it just doesn't work for me you know and that type of media uh when it comes to you know uh 
there's one evil that is completely evil, no redeemable qualities or anything. And, you know, everything they say is awful. It's just like, well, well, how is this fun? Like, how is it fun to just see a villain that's completely evil? Whatever the, whatever the, um, the subject is or whatever the scenario is, it's, it's not as good as when you make a, uh, a villain a little bit more complex. And I feel like, whenever you're trying to make someone guilty, like in these cases, it, be, it end up, ends up becoming too cartoony for me to even take it seriously. So at the end, it does the complete opposite of what it's supposed to do, and I can't take it seriously. Yeah. And I, you know, as far as the quality of Roots, I haven't watched it since I was probably about like 10 or 11 years old, so I couldn't, I couldn't tell you uh, for certain what the level is there. But I know 1970s uh, miniseries and TV films were certainly of a different caliber than the decades that followed. I think by the 90s, where you have a lifetime made for TV movies, you have the ABC movie of the week, uh, usually put out by Disney. Those are all not very good. But the 1970s, I mean, you had a lot of great filmmakers that were starting in TV movies like John Carpenter, like Michael Mann, Steven Spielberg. Uh, The format was also a little looser, than it would be in the 1980s where sitcoms would become the big popular thing and uh, override a lot of network television. Uh, you, you know, you had the TV drama. The TV drama was absolutely supreme in the 1970s, which is how something like uh, Roots could exist. And also uh, how you wound up with the miniseries, two-part uh, miniseries of Salem's Lot, which I believe was originally going to be a... like a, like it, it was intended to be a covert pilot for a series that was going to be similar to, was it, uh, was it Knott's Landing? One of, one of these major, uh, like drama in a small town type shows. So, uh, that would actually be a, a great segue into track down looking for the good bar or finding the good bar killer from 1983 with George Segal from California split and uh, the Goldbergs, the new show, your favorite show, the Goldbergs. Uh, he died yeah. recently. He died maybe two or three weeks ago. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> he was ninety. He was ninety, and he was still acting on TV. It was pretty nuts. I mean, William Shatner's ninety. Was Have he? you seen William Shatner lately? He does not look or act like a ninety-year-old. What does he look and act like? Like a sixty-five-year-old. I doubt he looks like a six. But the last time I saw him, he looked like a shaved potato that had been sweating and just left there to sweat. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I mean, he's 90s. And the fact that he's still out and doing things, like compare that to fucking Jack Nicholson, right? Who's just being a vegetable surrounded by women half naked at the beach, which great, you know, that's, that's the what, life, I guess. That's but... what we think. <laughs> that's what we think. The last photos right. of him taken like that were probably from like 2013 or 2012. We don't actually know. He's probably in a vegetative state right now. The most yeah, recent yeah, photos so. of him from the public are at the Lakers court with his son, who looks like a younger, chubbier version than him. Right. Like, like if and Jack Nicholson looks, were our age. He looks... I just found that photo that you were talking about, and... uh his face is very nondescript. You can't tell if he knows that he's there or not. <laughs> he's just smiling, but there's like a very vacant look in his eyes. So, uh-huh. I mean, he could be, or he could just be 
He could be at the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but on the Lakers court yeah. and dressed up with his belly hanging he out. Might, he, he might still be looking for Magic Johnson on the court, you know, <laughs> yeah. from, from yeah. the 80s. Yeah. Uh, his son is wearing a Bam Stoker's Dracula hat that fits horribly in his square head. Just in case you guys want to Google <laughs> Yeah. The classic Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is nothing like Bram Stoker's Dracula. We yeah, should have brought that up for, for our new Hollywood show when we did the Kino cast. Bram Stoker's no, Dracula. You, you could have cited that as your favorite new Hollywood film. Bram Stoker's you... Dracula. Oh, okay. Uh, I, was, I was about to ask you if you think positively about that movie, but I can't imagine you thinking positively about it. Um, I don't, honestly, I, I haven't watched it since the 90s, but I remember not liking it back then. I like yeah. the uh, the costume design of it. I like that uh, muscle-esque suit that he wears. And there was also a, a pretty spooky Super Nintendo game for Bram Stoker's Dracula, where I got caught on the first, it was one of those games where you just get caught on the first level and you can't figure out your way beyond uh. that. But you want to play it, so you're just playing that first level over and over, trying to beat it. Uh, before guides and anything, and you had one game. Exactly. Uh, that happened to me so many times. I, w- I was such a dumbass that I would always just go for whatever cover looked cool. And then the game will be nothing like the cover because they don't care. You, yeah. You're not going to know until you pay for it. So I had like five games that they were all shitty and hard. So it was a miserable experience to try to play video games. And I would never get good at it because I was just rage quit. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the titty, the titty uh, hair is pretty iconic from uh, Bam Stoker's Dracula. I can never see it and not see the titties from Little Nicky. You know. Wait, hold on, what are you talking, you know talking about? about? I don't. No, I haven't seen this. So, okay, so Gary, you've never seen Little Nicky? No, I've seen Little Nicky. I don't know what you're talking oh, about about oh, yeah. breast hair. What is breast hair? Send send it to my so Facebook Bam- messages so I can look this up on my phone real quick. So Gary Oldman on this uh, Dracula movie, he wears this type of hair cut. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's got uh, the big bosom yeah. hairdo. Yes. And and he and uh, Adam Sandler parodies it. And um, Lil Nicky. With Harvey Keitel. The... It's, I yeah. believe it's Harvey, it Harvey Keitel. Yes. I'm fairly certain this is Harvey Keitel and Little Nicky. I don't know how he got the stars he did for that movie. Tarantino's in that movie. It's unbelievable. Yeah. No, it's not. It's that's not Harvey Keitel. No, that's not Harvey Keitel. Does Harvey Keitel that's play Kevin Satan? Neal. It's Kevin Neal. Kevin Neal that's is right. T- Harvey Keitel is in Little Nicky, though. I think he uh, plays Satan. No. Uh, yes. Yes, he is. Roger Dangerfield you. plays Satan. Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield. He got Rodney. I have to revisit yeah. Little Nicky. I Harvey haven't K- seen this movie in a while. Who does Harvey Keitel play? Wait, Harvey Keitel. It says Dad. I haven't seen this in a while either. <laughs> it says Dad. So but the I devil. Can't, I can't. It's been Satan. Long. I'm. I'm. I'm pretty sure he's right. He's Satan. Yes. Yeah. You're right. I just. Yeah. So who the fuck is Roger Dangerfield? This isn't a Jesus and God situation where the devil and Satan are two different entities. (laughs) Yeah, this is a Little Nicky universe. This is the Sandlerverse. A lot of people don't know this, but Little Nicky does tie into Looking for Mr. Goodbar. They do both take place in New York City. 
there's death. There's shared parallels between both of these films. There's there's titties. There's breasts. Um, there's there's a there's a dog. We do see Diane Keaton's breasts in uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, don't we? Yeah. How would you rate her breasts? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not playing this game that you like to play. <laughs> hey, no, uh, <laughs> that's wrong, Lauren. That is bad. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll DM you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna say it out loud, but I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, what do you what do you think about the fact that the Teresa character, right? Uh, is essentially like every woman now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, the world is so much safer now that they don't get killed, which is why they're so loud on social media. If they were all getting killed, like Teresa here, I think they will be a little bit more careful. Maybe this movie should be shown. Maybe it should get a fucking Blu-ray release, which hasn't, because they're afraid of the backlash, right? Well, I have a Blu-ray that is a bootleg. Uh, and they upconverted some of the scenes using that new AI technology where it just kind of guesstimates what those pixels would have been. And it results in sometimes people's faces look like Haley Joel Osment in AI when he eats spinach, where it's just ah, as right. very disturbing. It's very creepy. But otherwise, I mean, it's the best looking copy I've seen of the film to date. Um, so the excuse that's been used frequently for why this movie has not gotten a proper physical media release although beware i bought this 12 dollar dvd on ebay from australia and this is the ugliest piece of shit uh vhs rip four by three awful awful two words on the vimeo the vi look the vimeo is the best quality you can find online there's a vimeo uh, of the uh, the movie, a link. When you type "looking for Mr. Goodbar" into Google, that comes up. It's a French TV rip, and that is probably the cleanest version you can get beyond the Blu-ray, which I got off of eBay. So they like to use oh the music in the movie. It's just too expensive. We can't afford this. But I believe it was played on Cinemax or Showtime two weeks ago. Why music is too expensive? What music is too expensive in this movie? If you if you revisit the beginning of the movie, where I and I really like this, the uh, you know you have the black and white portraits of everybody at the bar, and you have four or five different tracks playing, uh, you know, and also every single time she's out at the bar, they have real music from that time, real hits playing in the background. They don't use some generic disco uh, that they could have easily filled in the gaps with. So yeah, yeah, the music budget on that is probably, you know, pretty pretty high as far as uh, films go. But keeping in mind that the Wonder Years got a DVD release, and that was the main reason why that was held up. We're talking about what, like a hundred episodes of the Wonder Years that wound up getting released to DVD and Netflix. Still, nobody wants to touch this movie. I think uh, maybe because of that, but also because of political reasons yeah well that that one seems to be the most likely one because if they think they're going to do a profit or get a profit from it they could just 
pay another band to re-record the music and that's it something that sounds similar it, it doesn't really add that much to the movie i don't think especially because we're not in that era so whatever most music they're playing sure as long as it sounds 70s that is the 70s you know it's not like we recognize any of it so i don't think that i mean as much as you want to keep the movie untouched from what the original intention is i don't think the music in those scenes plays a big enough part for that to be a deterrent or for I mean, people will definitely complain because people complain about everything, but I just don't think it would make that big of a difference. Uh, to me, it sounds more like I think that's, they're I afraid think of the backlash. That a movie, I, you know, like I agree. This. I think that's difficult to say, though. I mean, we don't know what they would fill that in with, but here, here's the thing. Here's my logic to it anyway. There's nothing stopping them from doing that, what you just suggested, filling in the music with other, maybe just like stock yeah. library, disco, or whatever you could you could use and throwing that up on like Netflix or prime yeah. or something. And then you're introducing the movie to Ooh, a new I audience. Can... Right. Yeah, so I people, can't will... I can imagine that on Netflix, <laughs> just looking for Mr. Hey, Cooper on Netflix. I, listen, can... I never see it. Netflix back in 2011, 2012 was a different Netflix. Back then they actually yeah, had like yeah. decent movies. They would use, uh, you know, it wasn't just, what's going to be appealing to an international audience or what is going to be appealing to this demographic of American, right? So maybe, maybe in the past where they had Tetro on Netflix and films of that matter, that wouldn't happen today. But what you could easily yeah. do is just supplement, supplement the music that's already in there, something different, put it up on a streaming platform, introduce the movie to a brand new younger audience. So then maybe if you know that there's going to be a consumer base for that. You release it via Arrow, via Shout Fact, one of these boutique Blu-ray distributors, uh, as opposed to just hoping that somebody from 1977 remembers this film, which is hardly played on television, which was never released on DVD, that only has VHS copies that have been circulated. So I think it's 100% uh, that it would be antithetical to the social politics of today. It's also before the. Mm, oh no, never mind. I was gonna say, yeah, no, it's after Annie Hall. It's after. Uh, no, no, no. Godfather this, this, this was the same year as Manhattan or Annie Hall, and she wound up winning the Oscar for the other film that she wound up doing. That was, they uh, get the Academy Awards. Yeah. So I mean. I'm just thinking of uh, reasons why they would want to release it. Maybe like a you know early Diane Keaton. I don't know if Diane Keaton would move the needle as much in 2021, but uh, I, I just think that it's a uh, well. Think it's about an it. Interesting... I mean, it's a, first yeah. of all that alone. The fact that it's an interesting movie. Okay, that's one. Number two is the cast. Yeah. You have Diane Keaton, Richard Gere, Tom Berenger. That's two. Number three is based on a best-selling novel which is still in circulation. You can get it today from a major publisher. That's number three. Number four is, I mean, the fact that it, it, it did rack up nominations at the Academy Awards. I feel like if a movie is nominated for the Academy Awards, it should be easy to track down. It should be easy to find, track down, finding the good bar killer, 1983. <laughs> yeah. It, you know? Not that one. No. no. Yeah. No, that one you can't even watch. <laughs> you can hardly watch it at all. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else we can say about uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbar before we get into its made-for-TV sequel? 
Well, it says here that it was aired on AMC in 2016, apparently. Really? Uh, so there has been a couple of airings, I guess, of it, but I, I can't imagine it being primetime, you know, or this was probably no, aired no, no, no. like at midnight. Right. I mean, when, when, it, when I got uh, alerted by, uh, by Mike Sailing, who follows our stuff, that uh, it was going to be aired on Showtime or Cinemax, one of those networks, it was like a one-in-the-morning broadcast. It was a broadcast that nobody was going to tune into. So, yeah, I, I mean, the fact that it wound up on AMC, which is like a basic cable network, is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was... Well, no, it doesn't look like it was censored at all. It's two hours fifteen. Uh, they they have a a little profile of the of the movie on on their AMC website, uh, but yeah, I can't imagine this being like you know a feature presentation of the night more than just you know this movie is going to air at midnight and we'll watch it kind of uh, thing. Before we move on, what what did you think of the directing from I believe the yeah, Richard Brooks directed this film. Uh, he doesn't have a particularly uh, impressive or maybe maybe not impressive. Impressive is not the right word, but he doesn't have a glitzy uh, filmography. I, I don't know if there was anything visually that caught my eye, uh, to be honest. Uh, what about the end? I don't think... Okay. Yeah. All right. You're right. I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The the way that was shot was kind of odd, but it worked somehow. Um, but I, I I can't remember any any type of shot or any anything uh, throughout the movie that I thought, oh, that was cool. It felt like it was just servicing the story properly. Uh, not. Re- I mean, he got really good performances of it, so good good on that end. But I don't think that visually really gives you a lot. Uh, which could be on purpose, but just to show how uh, realistic and gritty everything is. And also, um, it stays away from becoming a Lifetime movie, which this could easily have been. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's because of the grittiness of the 70s or, or just because of the, the way that it's shot. But I, I don't know. I, I don't really think that he did anything uh, special with it. I think it works for the type of movie that it is and for the type of story that he's telling. But I, yeah, I don't I think I think what winds up happening around that lifetime era period is that you cannot do a true crime film proper or, uh, you know, certainly uh, there are exceptions to every rule. Right. Uh, You cannot do a true crime film without in some way celebrating the victim. Right. Uh, And this is not a movie that does that. There's no sentimentality for that character. Right. It just shows you her trajectory, her mistakes, and everything that led up to this. The invitation yeah. of doom that the she puts out The red flags that there. she doesn't see or she ignores, yeah. Well, right. that's why when you said Netflix, that was so uh, shocking to me. Because I feel like Netflix, every time they do content when someone gets killed, it has to go through their lens first. So it has to be sanitized by them first. Uh, as you can see with every serial killer documentary series that they put out, everything is very Netflixy, uh, and I don't know if they go as as deep enough as they could just because of how sanitized Netflix content is. Uh, so I can't imagine this unless they remove a lot of the 
adult content on it uh, to be there. Amazon completely. And is it not on, on Prime? No, it's not on Prime. It, it's, uh, it's very well. difficult. It's very difficult to find, except for that Vimeo link. The minute that Vimeo link gets taken down, good luck. This, I mean, I, I couldn't even find uh, torrents of looking for Mr. Goodbar. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't find torrents either. Uh, well, I can. I just searched for it on, on Prime and it says my location, but it's there. I don't know if you can see it, but it, it shows rent? to me. So you can rent it? Lying. I, there's a page. I know there's a page. I don't think you can, well, it says you can that stream it. Okay, I don't know. It just says that if it is unavailable, it's my location, so I can't see if it is. But but it's definitely difficult to find. Like, if you are not able to find a torrent about something, it's because it's something obscure or difficult to find because there's torrents for everything. Um, I just, I got a torrent yeah. of a movie called The Hot Spot, directed by Dennis Hopper from 1990 that nobody has thought about that I didn't even realize was in his filmography. Uh, and there were maybe two of it, and I got a copy like that. So there's no re again, it's a whole lot of excuses that sound nice, makes sense, yeah. but you can find every other film ever made with like a 480p copy readily available. This one, yeah. not so much. It's just peculiar. I think it's, I think it's uh, too much of a shining example of the direction that you could maybe take things in as an alternative to whatever the schmaltzy, warm, feel-good uh, crime alternative might be, which is that yeah. reciting the obvious is the status quo, you know? Uh, so this movie is a hit. This movie is a success. It winds up getting a sequel, in spite of the controversy, called Trackdown, Finding the Good Bar Killer. And this is a 1983 TV movie. They, they, I, I, I don't know what how you wound up watching it, but the one that I tuned into, first of all, there was an advert that was also on YouTube for this movie that yep. used the song Gloria. Did you did you have that one where it opens with Gloria? I, ooh, I don't know. I can't remember. That was a big I was hit. actually playing it in the background. I was playing it in the background of that movie as we talked. It's up to forty five minutes. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't. Like I said, I don't remember anything about this other than I hated the fifteen minutes I watched. Uh, so I so if, sure, yeah. So, so I think I think as a legal disclaimer, <laughs> they said this this movie has nothing to do with judith rossner's book or the movie that was made in the late 70s it's its own thing but we open with a gay killer and his flamboyant partner right after them it literally picks up right where the end of the first movie uh ends and you have none of the actors return and rightfully so uh, but this this Tom Berenger replacement is especially egregious. He feels like an unsolved mysteries actor, you know? I think they just use the real me, people me, in a lot of those episodes. Let me interrupt you with the actual quote. It says, the following broadcast is based on fact. It is not related to the Judy, Judith Rosner novel, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, and Miss Rosner has no connection with it. Uh-huh. Right. So... Here, I mean, here, here's, my, here's my theory. I think that after the movie was released and it was a hit, that people got a little, they got squeamish about the movie because of 
it uh, handling true crime in a certain way, right? I think that was probably it because you do have this movie and subsequent books which try to correct the film and the novel. And then I think you get close enough to the year 2000 or 2010 whenever you start to see liberal politics become, uh, you know, the law, uh, that they maybe don't circulate it for political reasons. I think that's probably it. I think it's a, I think it's a little bit in both. 20th century is the insensitivity factor. 21st century is this goes against the ethos of this era. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing it, and I just saw the guy that uh, plays the Tom Berenger character, and he looks like a like a child actor that just grew up. You know, they keep like that kid face, but it's all blown out. Yeah. Uh, it's awful. He kind of reminds me of it's, the the killer from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. You know, the kind of just generic yes, male yeah. face. Like, who can we find? This, this yeah, Sears yeah. catalog model. Yeah. No, can he act? like Opie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. A young Opie. The performances in this movie, uh, in this track down, Finding the Good Bar Killer movie are uh, horrible, but... I will say George Seagal's charisma and his humor in line delivery wind up making it watchful. I was able to get through the entire thing in one sitting and it wasn't too much of a chore. Uh, But tonally, it's so different from looking for Mr. Goodbar. It feels like, here's what it feels like. Similar to how Salem's Lot was a backdoor pilot for a, for a, a, a TV show that they were considering uh, using that book as the the premise for this feels like well George Seagal's not up to much lately maybe we could give him a Columbo Kojak style tv show why don't we why don't we just throw this out there see how people react to it we have the good bar name on it so people will tune in because of that but we'll lead with track down maybe that'll be the name of the tv series when we launch it next fall track down starring george seagal coming nbc 8 p.m monday nights yeah is that what it feels like like an abc at 8 p.m monday 100 percent hundred percent. It feels like a TV movie of the week that is intended to turn into a series for the George Seagal character. And George Seagal oh, is, um, Jesus, that kiss between that guy and the older man is oh, very it's painful. Jarring. Hey, I, I couldn't even believe that they would put that on TV in 1983. Two men making out. The, Unbelievable. It was the least passionate kiss I've ever seen. He just grabs him, stiff armed, and he just goes, Mwah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's, it's, it's there's no 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 love behind that kiss at all. It's the just, most uncomfortable two to. straight actors peck in the history of television. <laughs> yeah. I think they were going yeah. as they uh, <laughs> cut embraced. Ugh. Gotta go again. God damn it! You're just all replaying right. it over and over. Is that your favorite scene from both movies? <laughs> no, I just mean the director. If I was the director and I had you and someone else kiss, I just have you do it over. It's gonna be over me, again. me, and me and Jerry kissing. For the new movie, yeah, for Jake's yeah, new yeah. movie, it's like a gay couple in Texas. In Texas, it's called Belt Buckles. <laughs> so, track down finding the good bar oh my killer. God. George George Seagal looks a little bit like Joe Piscopo at points in this movie. <laughs> I'm just fast forward through it. Yeah, I'm just like is that Joe Piscopo? Yeah, 
so the, uh, his whole thing is, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's not a good family man, right? He makes agreements to go see his daughter's thing, and he's going to meet with the wife, and she's like, "I'm sick of well, this. A, I'm fed up. I'm fed up with you and your work." He's a detective, right? Every detective goes through that. Mm-hmm. Every series and movie that has a detective on it has told you. I'm sick of you and your job. Yeah, the Jake Gyllenhaal, Chloe Savigny. Yes, even though I married yeah. you when you were a detective and I knew this is how it would be yeah. all along, now I'm fed up. Now I'm ready. Now to that you this. actually have work, now you're actually in a big case where you can progress in your career. Kind of annoying now. Why don't you just go back to patrolling the streets? That was fun. Like, that's every wife of a detective on everything. So, yeah, mm-hmm. he was a bad, bad family man. Good that, cop, that is, bad husband. Yeah. Is it one of those cops that just breaks the rules a little bit just to get the work done? No, he's not. He's actually he's a oh. he's a pretty by the book cop and kind of guy uh, in this film. And he's almost uh, you know his his biggest flaw is that he's too dedicated to his job, and that's it. Yeah. So his his so wife. What about, what about him? Would be attractive to create a whole series with him. He's kind of, uh, I mean, have you seen uh, Robert Altman's California Split? No. Okay, so he's very good in that movie, and he's partnered with Elliot Gould, who's a similar type of guy, just, uh, you know, witty, middle-aged Jewish men from the from the 70s. So he's one yeah. of those kinds of guys. And he, you know, he you, you would probably recognize him from, like, the cable guy or something. I'm pretty sure he plays Matthew Broderick's father in the cable guy. George Segal? Yes. Oh, yeah. Never even. Yeah. Don't He's know, also. Don't I think he might have been on Friends. He played a lot of fathers in the nineties. So uh, George Segal is. A, you know, he's a charismatic guy. His line delivery is actually pretty humorous in this TV movie, and he's the only thing that makes it worth watching. Um, about quarter of the way through the movie, his wife starts dating a man. Uh, and they're just going to separate. So then he has to get back to dating, but he's old and he's rusty. He doesn't know how to do this. And uh, so you got that also as well. And that eats up a good chunk a, of the middle. He's at a sushi bar with a young lady. Right. That looks very uncomfortable. And he's trying to make a move on her in the car, but he's an old gentleman and she's a new school kind of gal. You know, she's, <laughs> she's got to invite him. New school in the 83. Right. Right. Well, she, this, this, hold on. This movie. This movie tries to correct looking for Mr. Goodbar because there's a scene where the wife is like, where he, uh, he's concerned that his daughter is going to wind up the same way as Teresa from that first film. And the wife gives a, an empowerment speech about, she can do, that's her life. She gets her business. She can do whatever she wants. She's, it doesn't mean just people can murder people. And uh, he's like, yeah, I guess so. All right, you, you get a point. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, great. Yeah. Right. You fixed it. You fixed right. the movie. Now it's better. Now we can watch it in peace because you said the thing. You said the thing that so everybody was... Her fault. Yeah, it's not thing? your... Like, uh... It's Goodwill Hunting. It's Robin Williams saying, yeah, I know you got molested, but it's not your fault. That's what that movie that was what, missing. I've, ne- I've never seen Goodwill Hunting. I didn't know it was about that at all. <laughs> Uh, it's it's about Matt Damon is attracted to children and doesn't want to be and he he doesn't understand why, uh, and then he oh, finds Jesus. out oh right it's because it's because I got molested as a kid, 
and it just it happens this is what happens is childhood trauma uh turns into a deviancy and it into adulthood and robin williams is like it's okay that you're a pedophile it's not your fault that's the whole that's good will hunting he's trying to be good and that's what the title is good will hunting I- as I opposed just to the bad, the bad will hunting likes bad to hang hunt out me. in the basement and wait for bad passersby. Bad will hunts you. <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. to hunt bad will. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I confuse I confuse that movie and uh, Dead Poet Society because I've never seen either of them. So when you started telling me that, I pictured Robin Williams in the classroom, you know, when he gets on a desk <laughs> and gets very passionate about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's not your fault. <laughs> I was on the set of that movie. I was in Goodwill Hunting as a boy. Oh yeah? Yes, I was. Um I was probably 6 or 7 at the time and uh they were filming the fight scene in the movie at a basketball court that was they were literally shooting all around my apartment during this time. I had my own apartment at age 6. I got emancipated. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this. Yeah. I was a very independent. I was a commercial child actor. And so I did star contestants that's right. I was, uh, what was it? Slimes, Gas, Legends of the Hidden Temple. I was on all the shows. They couldn't yeah. get enough of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, you won like what? Like three walkie-talkies and a couple of Walkmans. And you were rich. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you ever looked back at those shows and their prices were so shitty? They were, it's like, oh, you won a pen. It's like, oh, they're great. That's, that's very exciting for a five-year-old. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the, I, they were filming Goodwill Hunting in 96, I believe it was. So maybe it was actually like five years old. And um, they were shooting at the apartment buildings that were all around my area. And uh, there was a park right nearby. And uh, I, w- I was in the park scene, but I'm not in the movie, uh, where Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and their friend, and Cassie, Casey Affleck might have been there too, are fighting some thugs or whatever. They're doing something. I, I haven't watched the movie in ages. But I was a little boy, and I was there with my mom, and that's what happened. And uh, I remember when uh, you know all the actors were out and about getting autographs. Uh, Robin Williams just absorbed everybody. The crowd was there for Robin. No one gave a shit about Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. They're like, "Who the fuck are these guys?" I don't care. I haven't What's seen it? School Days. I haven't seen Dazed and Confused. I haven't seen uh, Mall Rats. I don't give a Mall shit. Rats. Was he putting on a little show, Robin? Was he being, ooh, ooh, look at me. Look at me now. Was he doing that thing? <laughs> because, uh, I goddamn. Don't, I don't think so. I, I walked up to him <laughs> with, a, with a Disney, ma- and I should have brought my Aladdin videotape in retrospect. I walked up to him with a Disney magazine, and I had, like, funniest comedians. And uh, on the cover was Jim Carrey. And I remember I handed it to him, but I had my finger in the page where he was at. I was okay. I, I handed it to him. It? Yes, so I was trying to hide the cover a little bit so he wouldn't be offended, you know, that he's not the number one comedian. That's Jim Carrey now. It's not you, yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. And uh, he that said he doesn't something. End up hang, that he doesn't end up hanging himself <laughs> because he sees that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was a. They they had like a page on him or whatever, and he mentioned something about the birdcage. So he made like a gay joke, and it kind of went over my head at the time. But I, all I remember is he met he mentioned birdcage. I was just silent and holding my little magazine i was i didn't know did what he, to say at all i didn't say anything did he, did he sign it he signed it yeah yeah i uh, mean to be to be fair like yeah let's bring a reference to a, a gay movie about gay men to a five-year-old and 
expect he's gonna get your joke. <laughs> well, the pi- I believe the picture of him in the book was from the Birdcage. So take it up with Disney Magazine oh, okay. from from oh, that right. time. They should have put in. They should have put in Dead Poets. Maybe they should have put in Good Morning Vietnam. Well, he does. He's not. He's only a voice in Aladdin. You know, he wouldn't. Anyway, so that's that's my Google man. Story. That's the one. That didn't happen yet. That was five years later, I believe. Flubber. World Flubber would have been a good that? one. Oh, right. Flubber. Actually, I think Flubber was World's later, too. Great. Shit. I don't World's know. World's Greatest Dad is the funniest comedian. Uh, yes. Magazine. Bobcat <laughs> Goldwave. Let's do another Bobcat Goldwave Civic TV. We're just watching a manic man on stage perform. <laughs> just sweat. And have nothing to say hour. except, well, he looks sweaty. Yeah, he must have been tired after that. Anyway, that's Civic TV for this week. Man, all the Civic TV picks this 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 season suck, huh? It's because you guys fucking suck at picking shit. I always pick like the goofiest thing we can make fun of, and it gets one vote. Mine. And then you guys pick like some cool movie that we're just sitting there quietly because it's like, well, this is actually good. I can't actually shit on it, so that's fun. You know, and then yeah, we've seen a lot of good things, which is not, you know, great for interacting while we're watching. Yeah, I, I agree. pick a movie with a bunch of like inbreds, and no one picks it, and it's like we can laugh at this from minute one. They're in like the desert with bikes. They're all retarded. Oh no, no. But here's the thing. Hold on. The... That's that's <laughs> your fault, not our fault. Yeah. You got to do the yeah, Scorsese just... method, which is one for me, one for them, as in the audience. Right. So you got I told you, you got to put out movies that they're going to know the name of. So if you put in Troll Two, that's a win. That's a guaranteed win that week, no matter what. I don't what really. It's against. I don't don't want to watch that again, though. I've seen it. But, like hold it's on. not funny anymore. I agree. No, so I'm, I'm completely with you. I completely agree. But then you're conditioning the winner, right? then it's one step in the direction of bad movies. So if we just do four guess, bad movies, yeah. it, the, the odds of that winning are more likely as opposed to we're right. going to watch John Carpenter this week. And now we're going to watch yeah. a Bobcat Goldway comedy. Then we're going to do Jingle All the Way too, which is, well, we look, in Vice retrospect. Vice Squad too. Vice Squad was very serious too. Vice Squad. Was it Vice Squad? Yes. Yeah, Vice, Vice Squad was a terrible show. That was a terrible, terrible civic TV episode because – that movie is not like goofy fun. Yeah. It's like, it, I mean, it might be, but it's in a way that it's quality still. So it's like, yeah. all right, well, I got to sit down and pay attention to this. I can't riff over this if I haven't seen it before. You know, I don't, I, there's nothing to make yeah. fun of here. This guy's a little wacky, I guess. He's kind of like Jim Carrey faced, but whatever. Um, I don't know. Jingle all the way too. best yeah. episode to date, just because we talked over the entire movie about other shit. Uh-huh. Maybe worst watching experience for us. Well, no, nah, actually, I think Dog Walker still takes the crown every every. Time I don't think so. I th- I think those Dog no? Walker episodes. I think. Hold on, the first one, Kick Assy, was bad. That was I, an endurance run. But I think that the one it's that we long. watched. It's just so long. What did we watch? The wall. We, we watched the wall. The wall. Right? the wall was forty minutes, but we did. You you brought out the game show yeah, yeah. episodes. The game that, show. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't have to feel that long, but I actually think th- that episode was great for riffing. It feels like classic yeah. civic TV. Now we're caught in a cycle where it's just like, yeah, this movie's kind of good, or this movie's too boring. I don't know. Well, we need one that's just right. Yeah. We need the perfect porridge well, for that show. 
even the earnest one that I thought would be more enjoyable. That was fucking that was too bad. That was, rough. That was too yeah. agonizing. Yeah. So it's just gonna be that. It's gonna be oh man, three of us hate it. While Jake opines about childhood and how this is better, and then next week it's gonna be something too good, and we're all just gonna be a yeah. little too caught up in it, and then it's gonna be something too boring, and nobody's gonna be happy. It's gonna be- gonna be on until i i throw out duana man out there for it to win that's the one i think it's gonna bring us back to to good stuff i think i think we need a format shift for certain maybe we for 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 next week we don't have have a theme theme yet okay you're i think you're kind of far from your microphone oh format change how i think it's just raining really hard so the microphone's trying to keep up with it uh what did I, I asked something and I forgot already. Uh, format change. How is what you just yes, said. Yes, <laughs> yes, wow. Yes. You said it. And then you said, <laughs> I forgot what I just said within a second of completing the sentence. That's, that's a bad sign. You need some, it's like early. you need those pills early that Alex upset. Jones sells for, for brain health. Brain yeah. I need a, strength. what is it? Monkey brain. What is it? <laughs> alpha, alpha sure. brain. That's what it is. Alpha yeah. brain. You, yeah, you need alpha yeah. brain. Um, I don't know. Maybe we just maybe we gotta stop doing movies for a bit and start doing like shorter content. I think I look. I I think the show is fire when we're watching bad comedy and like Vic yeah. and uh, cartoons and commercials and just stupid stuff. I think once we get into a movie, unless the movie is like shockingly good or appallingly bad in a fun way, then we're gonna have a lot of episodes which is rough. I think we should just focus on movies like that Kung Fu movie that we watched that was in Africa. Like, you know, something that, that's not a rate, I guess, because those are the ones that usually have flaws, even though I think Vice Squad would probably qualify as that. Uh, but just things that are not serious, just goofy things, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's a, it's a bummer because like, I want to riff with you guys, but there's, some stuff that is just either so bad or when we watched that Joe Carpenter movie that I've always wanted to watch, I never did. I was just quiet because I was enjoying what I was watching. You were early John Carpenter. Awe. Yes. Well, yeah, actually, I was like, listen, oh, that's cool. I actually so, think, I actually think that episode was pretty good. Uh, comparatively, like sometimes those episodes are good where it's like a nice surprise. I had no expectations for that or something like roar where it's just literally yeah. us reacting in real time. That was good. Uh, the O.J. Simpson story, that was a good episode, I think. I mean, Justice League was a very boring movie, but... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Civic TV Season 2, it's kind of get the Joe Para Season 2 syndrome, where it's just like, damn, yeah. something got lost. Maybe we got to get rid of Jake. Maybe we got to dump Jake <laughs> and go be back to the normal. I don't know. Yeah, um, just get a random, random group of people just... Uh rotating instead of jake like <laughs> i don't know we gotta figure it out we let's we'll, we'll talk about this in the group actually right after yeah. the show um so you didn't really watch track down finding the good bar killer uh here's... i just did in the oh, background all oh, right just, as just as this show is happening you did your own civic <laughs> yeah. tv um <laughs> yeah what did you think stinks. it sucks <laughs> <laughs> sir it's really bad <laughs> I couldn't hear anything, but it looked bad. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it seems like an unnecessary, if you're not going to 
improve on the story in a way that actually makes it better, it's unnecessary. Like, it doesn't look like it's better shot. Uh, it doesn't have the recognizable actors that the other one has. Um, I don't know. Even the, the action, the little action that I was able to see looks very cheesy and re looks very TV movie, like you said. From, from yeah, that it's, it feels like Kojak or, or, yeah. or Beretta or one of those shows from the late 1970s where it's a man yeah. chasing another man on a rooftop and he's got a gun and they stop and they fire and then they, they, they pick up their running and that's how it is. Um, they also waste Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell is in the movie for a very short period of time playing a flamboyant well, game that's man. His, that's his career pretty much, right? I feel like he's one of the most underappreciated actors because he's always interesting to watch. But at, most of the roles that he has are very minor. I mean, I, I guess... I guess that happens with character actors, but I, he's one of those actors that I wish I, or there was more to see than the little cameos that was, or at least the big movies that he's in are usually just little cameos where he just shows a little bit, mm -hmm. but he's a very interesting actor that I, I don't think is mentioned enough whenever it comes to, to uh, I guess, would you consider him a character actor? I suppose, yeah. I, I think he would probably fit that description. It's kind of uh, strange, I guess. Maybe not when you're, you're thinking about the fact that this is a TV movie that they would allow him to be wasted in such a manner where his character is kind of inconsequential. He just sets up uh, a red herring, uh, you know, duck hunt for the George Seagal character to go on before his course is corrected. And he winds up finding uh, the boyfriend of that killer from the first movie. Um, so yeah, okay. he plays a flamboyant gay man in this movie. And you have to think also Joe Spinell I don't know if Maniac was a big success. It probably wasn't. It was probably something that made its money back, maybe, and then was like a video store classic. But he was in Cruising as well. He played a, a cop complaining about marriage or whatever with Mike Starr from Dumb and Dumber. Um, and he's got a, a pretty... I mean, he doesn't have a big role in that movie, but uh, considering the, uh, you know, the, the volume of everybody's roles in that film, he's, I guess one of the main supporting characters by default. So he is, I mean, I'm again, looking at his, I, I'm looking at his IMDb and I think if most of your roles don't have a name, you're a character actor. <laughs> and most of his roles are, you know, uh, New York goon number one, street vendor, mob boss, uh, doorman, border patrol man, bride's father, mask witness, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I, I I wish he had a, a a career where he was the star of the movie more because of what we've seen of him. But yeah, he's one of those underused, I think, uh, especially for that period of time where he could have played so many roles just by his physicality, I think, that would fit in so many different movies from the 70s and 80s that it feels like a waste that he didn't do more stuff. And I wonder if it was because of himself or just not getting the work because of i don't know the way he looked or being able to sell himself as a leading man i, I guess it's difficult when you kind of look like that right especially Maybe. especially in the 1980s i mean yeah. this kind of i mean i would i would put this in a genre of it seems like the 1970s and maybe early 1980s you could do a movie that has just a grotesque looking man just a, a schlubby late 30s to late 40s 
uh, man in a city with a mission. He's got something to do. And that type of movie doesn't really get made as often. Also because, you know, people get money now and they clean themselves up. They fix their, their faces. They cut the weight. They buy some nice clothes, you know. Nobody wants to look like a piece of shit. And you wind up losing yeah. character from that. Yeah, you want to look like a Lego man, like Kumail Nanjiani. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gigantic square head, yeah. But right. I guess that makes sense because he's he because Joe Spinell is always very greasy, you know, in everything. Uh, so I guess yeah. yeah, it's difficult to sell that guy as you know he's going to be able to sell us uh, tickets because people want to fuck him. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, would you hold on before we get back to Joe Spinell in this movie? Uh, do you consider Camille Nanjiani of the present, where he looks like a Roblox, where he looks like a Minecraft character, an improvement from his previous look of like? String bean neck, Pakistani man. I think he's. I'm sure he's healthier, but he doesn't look like you think so. A human being, like I'm sure he's healthier because of the exercise. Because before he was like a comedian, like late night, whatever you know, not a, the healthiest lifestyle. But at the same time, I think he doesn't look human. He looks like a comic book character that wouldn't exist in real life. Like if you see. That guy on the street, it's startling, you know, because he looks, it's, it's too much. Just like if you, if you see a, 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 what do you call it, body, what do you call it, physical culture? What's, it, what's that called, body? You know, the, the guys are very buff. Bodybuilder. Yes. If you see one of those guys on the street, it's like, oh, Jesus, like, this is not a normal person. Right. Yeah, a normal person, right? Because of their sights. I'm sure Kamala is happy because now he's like in shape or whatever and has money because of that movie. But he just, like, he, you can pick him out of a crowd now, not because he's Indian, but because he's, like you said, a Roblox character now. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that paycheck is very nice, you know, for him sure. to transform his entire life. Uh, do you get do the this. vibe that this Eternals movie is going to be, is it the Eternals? That this yeah. movie is going to be their first massive flop i think it's the first one that doesn't look to have a selling point so far so you have ant-man right ant-man is funny ant-man has a quippy sidekick that has funny lines and he tells exposition in a funny way funny character he's funny the movie's not going to be that serious so that's the selling point captain america you don't need to sell him because the character everyone knows same with iron man uh these Eternals are characters that I don't think many people are familiar with, and I don't know if people really look for the comic books before they watch the movie. I'm sure it's like a 5% maybe of people that do that, because even me being a, a huge dork myself when it comes to looking for background of things, I don't even bother doing that anymore, because why? Um, so I, I, I just don't see this movie having anything that other than the connection to the MCU that would make you watch it, especially if you watch that trailer. That's just very dull. It's just very like what what's in here. We don't even know who the characters are. There's no introduction to anyone. It's just uh, cuts of things happening. There's but also, also everything. Everything looks very dramatic movie with the backgrounds that she shoots. So it also doesn't feel like a superhero movie. So I, I don't know what they're trying to do here. So Angelina Jolie is not the actress that she was in 2004 where she could sell a Tomb Raider movie or a second Tomb Raider movie. I'm pretty sure that direct to HBO max film 
the title is escaping me, but it was like their movie of the month for May, uh, did not perform as well as every other film that's been released oh, direct yeah. to that platform. She's not, she's not gonna, uh, her name alone is not enough to build a hit, especially now. So it seems like there are no bankable stars in this movie, or at least no proven bankable stars. I mean, the closest would be Paperboy, right? Just by by default, because he pops up in Joker, he pops up in uh, Kong vs. Godzilla, but he, no one's showing up because of him. He's just there. Paper he's got boy? a Paperboy, Brian Tyree Henry. He's going to be with the boys in this film, you know? What? <laughs> Oh, 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 the guy from Batilla. Right, 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 right. Him, right. right. The guy but from Atlanta. Not... Paperboy from Atlanta. You posted about it. I've never him. watched Atlanta. Really? Yeah, but I've never seen Atlanta, no. Wow. Uh, it's not for me. I'm not a white liberal woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that to every show that I haven't seen. It's like, that's not, that's not It's for me. every show. Um, that, uh, yeah. But, that, but I think, like, fine. The selling point is that one character is gay and has a gay husband and they kiss. But that's going to be 30 seconds. Like, there, you know for a fact, because of the track record, that's not going to be a huge moment in the movie, that's right? right? Because Just they're so selling they it can, to China. Exactly. They're they're gonna, gonna they need to make it easily clipped so they can sell right. it to that, net, uh, that demographic. Right. So if that's your selling point, I don't know if it's... I mean, I, uh, yeah, the, the connection to the MCU, it has to be the only selling point that it has just because... If you are a fan of those movies, you're going to watch all of them. But there's really nothing about this that at least they've shown without having to do your own research to see what the story actually is that would make me want to watch this. Uh, even if I didn't know of the MCU track record, which already kind of puts me off uh, from watching anything, um, nothing was interesting looking, nothing was exciting in that trailer, nothing looked like a superhero movie. It looked more like what they did with uh, um, the no, what's the other show that also bombed that they released the the, the pilot on IMAX? What was it? Uh, I think it was the Immortal. It, I mean, it had a very yes. similar sounding title to the Eternals. It, Immortals. Yeah, it's it, it it felt like that. When I saw the trailer for that, I was like, oh, cool, that's just boring. You know, there's really nothing exciting in this, especially because you don't have recognizable characters. So there's not that easy connection that the other movies have, and I think that's going to be one of the struggles <clears throat> that they're going to have in the next stage because you know everyone that's been driving this moving uh these movies uh robert downey jr captain america all of those guys are gone and now they're going to have to focus on characters that people don't recognize or know that much uh and that might be where it goes down i think right. uh but so, to answer uh yeah, just so. just on that note real quick Let's think about this. Like for that first Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man's a very big character. Those Sam Raimi, I mean, we'll eventually talk about uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um, huge, tremendous blockbusters. The Andrew Garfield ones left a sour taste in people's mouths, but he's still a very big character and his being part of the, the whole MCU was a big moment for a lot of people. Um, and yet they didn't have the faith in that first movie to just do it without any of the pre-existing stars from that timeline of films. They had to have Robert Downey Jr. as sort of an Uncle Ben-style character in that movie just to make sure that it would sell. Um, and this movie doesn't have any of those pre-existing characters from what I can see. There's no Sam Jackson. Um, so it kind of feels like they're, in their head, they might be going, all right, this is double or nothing, right? Let's roll out a movie with 
all original characters that nobody's familiar with. And we're going to put the new Oscar-winning director, best director of Nomadland, at the helm. And if it's a success, then we got a brand new era for Marvel movies. But if it's not a success, well, now we have a good reason to double down on the TV series that we're doing, like WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Or Loki. Right. Loki's the new one that's coming out. Or to try and secure Chris Evans to come back, or whatever it might be. You know, whatever's going to be cheaper and most convenient and profitable. Yeah, I, I, uh, there's really, again, I don't, I don't know anything about this story and I, I can't begin to care. I think that connection with the characters, uh, it's one of the driving forces for this universe that they created because it's an easy way of making people care for them even if you're not really doing anything on screen for you to care for them, which is what happens in most of those movies where the stakes are never high and they're never in real danger. You know, nothing is actually going to happen to them. Maybe until, you know, the, the meetup when they all team up together, which when they kill maybe one or two. Uh, but that recognition of that character that, oh, hey, I recognize that shield or I recognize that Iron Man mask or even Spider-Man or that it's not here. So, I, it just feels like they're just selling oh this is diversity the movie you know yeah, everyone yeah, yeah, is yeah, a different yeah. color everyone's wearing like uh they're they're all wearing gowns and everyone's a different color and look they're in an island or something that kind of looks like an island so it's just that the united colors of Benetton, the movie you know like that's mm-hmm. what it feels like to me and that as a selling point might work in some circles but i can't imagine a mass appeal for something where that's the only selling point that you're giving to people. Um, and especially now that people are still afraid of going to movie theaters. Some people are still afraid of going to movie theaters. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say I hope this is the first bomb, but it looks like if there was going to be a bomb in this universe, this is the first one. I looks like the most likely one. I agree. I, th- I think it will probably uh, be a flop. Uh, I think even if it's a financial success, it'll probably just come out even Steven which is a failure. Um, and I also think, and this is, this might just be optimistic. I think that the, the whole, uh, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The hubbub, I guess, uh, around Zack Snyder's (laughs) justice league. That's the one, right. And now army of the dead being successful. You take a look at that movie and that's singular vision, Right. And some would argue to a fault where maybe you're getting a version of Superman you don't like. That's not the Superman you grew up with. It's not the oh, it's not the animated series Batman. Ugh. He's not smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we need a happy, Superman. quippy Batman. It's Val Kilmer smirking. That's what we need. Superman, <laughs> Superman doesn't smile, and when he smiles in those movies, it's horrible. Horrifying. We we <laughs> want lip is all fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, people were people were posting. I guess there's a new Superman TV show, Superman and Lois, and uh, like a, a nerdy black dude says to Superman, "Oh, I like your cape," and he goes, "Thanks, my mom made it for me." And people oh. were really eating that up on Twitter. That kind of mm. Tumblr Batman the animated series crowd, which they can all fall off a cliff for all I care. But the success of Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League and now Army of the I Dead agree. being being the biggest movie in the history of Netflix, which means now it's the biggest movie of all time. 
Is people, that people, oh, that's the that's this month's biggest biggest movie of all time? Sure, yeah. Okay. They might not be as interested in something, and especially I think the Eternals is the most corporate example of anything that has come this far from Marvel. <laughs> and that's saying something because it all feels extremely corporate, inoffensive, yeah. dull. Um, and yeah. I, I, for all the reasons you just said and more, I feel like maybe some people's taste, not, I mean, you're going to have a reliable audience to show up to every single one of those movies forever, like star Wars. Um, and yet the star Wars movies have had a shortage, you know, they went to the series. I, I think we might be looking at something like that, uh, due to a combination of things. But, uh, if you want to, uh, invest your time into great cinema, I would say check out Looking for Mr. Good Bar, 1970s classic, hard to track down finding the good bar killer, 1983, George Seagal. Um, but worth your time if you can get a reasonable copy of the film. It is uh, a refreshing movie experience. Yeah, I just uh, realized that, I mean, again, um, I, I, I don't care for this Eternals, Eternal movie, uh, Eternals movie, so I haven't uh, looked for it. So seeing Kumail, Kumail Nanyani uh, doing a Bollywood um, scene where he's dancing was kind of like, what? But it seems like the story of the character, that's who he is. So he knew before he started that the character is one of the Eternals that uh, according to the Bible, biography of it um he's enamored with fate with fame uh, and he becomes a popular bollywood film star to blend in on earth so he Are knew you kidding me so he got that buff he got that buff <laughs> to play a guy that gets into bollywood like i i wonder if he's even gonna have his shirt off in this movie can you imagine I... getting that <laughs> that muscular and then you're just wearing one of those suits the whole movie i love and that's it. that he's like a, a racial activist and a Muslim activist, and the role he took was Bollywood man in Disney corporate fair, where he's gonna wear a dress yep. and be as stereotypical as it gets. A stereotype, yeah. Yep. Shows More shows the than Apu. the integrity than Apu. of this man. <laughs> no, we'll everything this. everything he ever complained about his oh masculinity is bad. It's all just because he did not get enough pussy when he was 20 years old. And that's why he's cheating on his wife now that he's got a big old blockhead. Now he's got muscles. <laughs> he's got options. Yep. That's, all, that's all it comes down to. That's, that's the cry yeah. behind each one of these types of men. I use the word men. Now, um, if uh, Kevin Feig, Feig, how do you say his name? Uh, wants to throw me a couple of bucks so that I can play some stereotypical Mexican character. I mean, I'm not, I'm not above Kumail. <laughs> I'm, I'm only criticizing him yeah. because I'm not being offered. Well, <laughs> I would wear I, a fucking sombrero and, and, and get biceps and a mustache. I will grow a mustache, <laughs> which I still can't, as you can't see. This is like three months of work. Uh, so, hey, oh, listen, yeah. Warner Brothers might greenlight that Speedy Gonzalez movie. After all, he did get cut out of Space Jam. I don't know if there's enough backlash. They might do the whole restoration like they did with Gone with the Wind. So just just keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, I'll just need to work on my Mexican accent a little bit. But yes, dive anyway. action. Dive, it's like a, um, who framed Robert, Roger Rabbit, but it's just uh, Speedy Gonzalez working. Who framed Robert Blake? That's the movie I want to see. Yeah, 
Yeah. Anyway, this has been an episode of movies. Uh, hey, Robert Blake starred in In Cold Blood, which is Richard Brooks' other famous film based on the Truman Capote novel. Don't know the novel either. The only wow. thing I know about Truman Capote is that, um, uh, what's his name? Philip Seymour Hoffman played him. him. Yes, that's it. That's that movie really was good. That, that, that's all I know, yeah. <laughs> he, was a, he was a good gay in the movie. That's it. That's all I know about Mr. I forgot his name already. Yes. Uh, Mr. Cooper. Mr. Goodbar. Who was Mr. Mr. Goodbar, by the way? Mr. Goodbar is... uh, Is Isn't that a chocolate bar? It is. It's a chocolate bar with peanuts in it. They still sell it. It feels very vintage. Um, Well, Goodbar is the name of the the bar. Oh, is that... I completely... Yeah, so that's why she's circulating different men. Mm. And I guess the ultimate Mr. Goodbar was indeed... uh, the AIDS virus, because that is what takes Tom yeah. Berenger's life off screen in the end. Yeah. Yeah, go go watch it. It's a it's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell I gotta tell my bootleg Blu-ray vendor to add that to the cover. It's a hoot. Hans from it's movies. A hoot. <laughs> that's that's the quote. Yeah. All right, that's been movies. Thank you for listening.